Hear the word of the Lord. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. You may be seated. Amen. I'm going to grab my stuff here. Good morning. I am thrilled, privileged to be with you this morning and to be able to bring this message that God has given me. I am so thankful that uh, I can stand here today and I can proclaim his goodness, his love, his grace, his mercy on my life. As you listen, I would actually like us, you could, to turn to page 343, because you're going to hear something at the end of this service that um, very few people have ever heard, and um, very few may ever hear again. Um, if, you'll, if you'll notice 343, it's Amazing Grace, and um, we'll get to that later. But during this time, I ask you to just kind of maybe peruse through that him, and to to pick out bits and pieces that you like. The reason why I want to turn your attention to page 343 is uh, for a lot of different reasons. We all know this hymn, Amazing Grace, but beyond that, I, I, I want us to see and sense that God can work in our lives, and God can change us, and He can refine us. And he can mold us and he can shape us. But we must, we must allow him to do so. We must allow him to do so. We must allow him to change us, to refine us. So for the service today, as I'm speaking along and and you want to look down at 343, please do. Today's uh, sermon will be from James chapter 1 verses 2 through 8 and I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do justice to it because as I actually began looking at the passage, I could probably spend an hour on a verse or two. So for the next 15 minutes to to speak about all of them uh, is is going to be a challenge. But as, as I speak this morning, keep this hymn in the back of your mind. And then at the end, just be ready. Let's pray. Holy Father, I thank you. I thank you for the moments you give us. I thank you for the moments you give us to be shaped, to be refined. I thank you for doubt. I thank you for fear. 
I consider it pure joy. I consider it pure joy. Lord, this morning speak. May our hearts, may our minds, may our lives be ready and receptive to receive what you have for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Elena, could you do something for me? Could you grab me that water right there and bring it up here? Thank you. I know that's a little... Could you just bring it right here? No, this isn't part of an illustration. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I'm not certain. I have a feeling nothing good can come from this. I have an instinct. I have a hunch. These are all phrases and words that we've used in life that we would say have maybe brought us help. I can think of a mother who would have the instinct to see their child being too close to the edge of something and grabbing, seeing the uncertainty in the child's walking, and grabbing, holding, seizing that child. That ability to see and to understand and to, and to know to save, to reach. That's not really what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about another type of uncertainty, another type of of sensing life. I'm talking today about doubt. Doubt. We've all had it. We all have it. And we all will have it in the future. Now, you may not have as much today as you did yesterday, And God may be working on you, but I ask you to think of something in your own life. When you doubt, when uncertainty comes, when you fear, what do you do? I love this passage because this passage clearly lays out what we should do. It clearly lays out that we must consider it pure joy. When we face trials, when we face struggles, when times of uncertainty come. But then I also love the fact that it says specifically, ask for wisdom. See, it doesn't just give you a a feel-good, considerate joy, but it gives you specific direction. It gives you purpose, and that's what God's Word does. I think far too often we hear the same stories. I I talk to my children about this a lot. Dad, they're always the same stories. Dad, I've already heard about David and Goliath for the hundredth time. But I believe if we consider God's word, we consider the path that God is taking us on. And if you see and understand that God is longing, wanting for you to be mature and complete and not lacking anything... God's Word takes on a whole new relevancy. Takes on a whole new purpose and meaning. It's not just a relic that we hold in front of someone or something to ward off evil spirits. Because when you open it, it speaks. And it is alive. Doubt. My my, uh, looking it up is a feeling of uncertainty about the truth, reality, or the nature of something. It's, It's to distrust It's skeptical. Doubt in the Hebrew um, really can be more likened unto maybe fear, 
the understanding of what fear is. Doubt in the Greek, uh, just one of the words, diakrino, is to decide to hesitate. Dia meaning to separation. This is interesting. Crino to judge. To almost to be able to devise something to look at it. To judge something. And again, that, that that would be a good thing. If we would doubt and we would test and we would look at things. But often, more times than not, our doubt doesn't cause us to look at something and divide it and judge it and decide what's right and wrong. Often our doubt causes us to sin. Our doubt causes us to walk away, to move away from what God has, and to search, to seek for other, other ways of understanding a situation or a circumstance. In life, I, I, kind of, I kind of was thinking of this metaphor, and I think it really fits. Life is kind of like driving a car. And you've kind of got three different phases in driving a car. And just, just go with me on it. If it doesn't make sense, it's okay. It made sense to me, so... You're in the car, you're in the present right now, and you've got all the gauges and switches and all of them around you, and you can see how fast you're going, you can see your RPMs and that you're redlining again, you can see that you're almost out of gas or that you're, it's totally full. You're, you're in the present, it's right in there. And then you have this thing called the rearview mirror, and that's the past. And that's the thing that maybe we spend too much time looking at, I know I do to see what might be coming up, to begin an understanding of what has passed and what might be happening. And then there's the future. Now, in the future, do you look just right over the hood? Well, um, I, drive a, I can drive a bus. I have the ability, and I've taken a lot of tests to do that, three or four others. And one thing they always say is look about a quarter of a mile up. Don't just stare right off the front of your hood to look to see what's happening. Look a distance. Look ahead. Scan if you're driving through an area where children may be running out behind of cars. No, see the sidewalk. See the different things. And I, as I was thinking about that, I thought, hmm, our life really is made up of where we are right now and understanding what's going on. What has happened in the past and what will be coming up or what is happening in the future. I think when we, have, when we throw the concept of doubt into that analogy, it takes on a different meaning. Some people, I believe, doubt because of what has happened in the past, what they see in the rearview mirror, and sometimes their focus is so great on the past that maybe, just maybe, they don't see what's happening right now in that short window of time or what might be coming up in the future. What if right now in the present we're in doubt and we're so focused on the gauges and the switches and the movement and what's happening right now, we don't see the road ahead and we can't understand the concept of what has happened. And then what if doubt? We throw doubt into the understanding of what the future holds. And our, again, our focus is so strongly fixed upon what is ahead, we forget the lessons that we've learned from the past, and that this moment right now is happening as well. I wonder if if in doubt, in that analogy, I wonder if there in your life has ever been that perfect storm of all three going on at once. 
And I believe that is where, the, where uncertainty comes. Because you don't know where to look. You don't know where to turn. You don't know if it's best to, to look behind you to see what's, what's happened and to try to understand that or to see what's happening in the immediate or maybe even focus so hard on the future that you just miss. You're missing it all. The past seems to be creeping up on you. The, the present is just it's consuming you in the future. Oh, you, can't even, you can't even worry about the future. And you want to just kind of curl up into a ball, cuddle up, and just, and just stop. And just stop life. Just make all of the thinking of what has been, what is, or what will be go away. Well, today, in, in, in today's scripture, we find in, in this passage the understanding, as I said before, of what to do. What to do when you find yourself in that perfect storm of fear, doubt, insecurity. You know, I, I, really, I really, in my heart of hearts, don't believe, just like anger, just like shame, just like different feelings we have, I don't believe that doubt in and of itself is something that's wrong. It is when doubt causes us to sin. Is anger wrong? Is anger sin? Well, Jesus was angry, but he was angry for the right reasons. Is fear a sin? Well, it sure can lead to sin. We see that in Scripture time and time again. That when someone doubts, when someone fears, it keeps them, it hinders them, hinders them, it impedes their ability to think and to reason, and beyond that, to receive or accept the message from God. And that is where, in this passage of Scripture, we read that we must ask for wisdom. We must ask for wisdom when we are caught in that perfect storm of life. We are told in Scripture that what temptation is and what a trial is. And I want to just let you in a, a little thinking of what I, as I was looking over this. Because, in, uh, because we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance, we know that perseverance must finish, finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Temptation is a testing, and I, I got this from William Barclay. He states that the process of testing is, is a process to achieve in the Greek, it would be a sterling coin, a refining. It would be to move away, to get away all of the impurities, and to have that perfect understanding, that perfectness. That perfectness and that, that, be, that, that we face that begins, our spiritual, begins in our spiritual nature and causes us to choose whether we will wisely stand, and we know here in, uh, in James 4, it says, resist the devil and he will flee. And we understand that to stand in Ephesians is also something that we are to do. Finally now, stand. Put on the full armor of God. So we can wisely choose to stand when temptation comes, the temptation to doubt, the temptation to fear, the temptation to, to give up, to not consider what God is doing or challenging us with, 
or we can fall. I want to stop for a second because I have been confused in my life because Scripture actually says in another place to flee. Uh, uh, 2 Timothy says that you're to flee from the evil, evil desires of youth. In another one, it says, in uh, 1 Thessalonians, it says, avoid evil. So what is it, Paul? Do we stand or do we flee? Well, I, as I was thinking and processing, I believe that fleeing is standing on God's principles of holiness and purity and to flee from evil and cling to what is good. I think of Joseph no further than this, no further than Joseph right here. He's with Potiphar's wife. He has a choice. He has a choice to flee from this situation and to stand on the principles of God's holiness and purity. Or he can stay and not do God's will. And what did Joseph do? We know that Joseph left. So when you read flee, when you read avoid, remember that that is still standing. It's standing on the principles of God's holiness and purity. I was thinking of it this way. Uh, If we're to flee from evil and cling to good, this is what I would say. Cling to what is good. And if it leaves the building as Elvis did, you hang on for dear life and you go with that good. Do not stick around. Be with good all the time. Be with good all the time. And and I get choked up about that because I've struggled so much. And I believe that each person in here at some point in their life has struggled with just simply clinging to what is good. Clinging to the cross. Clinging to the garment, the hem of Christ as He walks by. As He healed the woman. Just, just, she, just, she just touched the hem of His garment and she was healed. If, if you take one thing away today, cling to what is good. If you've got stuff in your life that's tearing you down, that's taking you down, don't decide whether you're going to have it or not. Could you please just get rid of it? Just, just get rid of it. And then whatever God says is good, hold on to it. Don't let go. No matter what life brings you, no matter how wishy-washy things happen around you, no matter what anybody says, Cling to what is good. Cling to his goodness. Cling to the principles that he gives you to live by. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, we read this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is, whatever is admirable, if ex- anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable. If you want a list of things that you, that, that you and I can, can cling to, it starts right there. It starts right there. And I wonder today if you right now make a mental inventory of things in your life. Do they match up to truth? Are they noble? Are they pure? Are they lovely? Are they admirable? Think about those things. So here we have it. We are, we are tempted and we're struggling. And we're to ask for wisdom. We're to ask for help. It says in James 1, chapters 5 through 8, I'm just going to read it all out. If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who, give, who gives generously to all who find 
who find with, excuse me, to all, I misprinted this. You know what? I'm just going to get into God's word rather than keep trying to read something that, uh, that I typed out and didn't type out right. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. What a promise. What a gift. What a gift. God, I don't know, but I know you do. Could you help? It says right here, he will give it to you without finding fault. To me, that's wisdom given in grace. There are a lot of people in the world today who will give you wisdom, but there's no grace attached. There's no love attached. There's no truth attached. If you really want wisdom, just ask, and it will be given to you. And all the other things that the world may give you that are attached with other things that, man, it's just, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to sense and see that type of wisdom. In verse, chapter, in, in verse 7, we read this. Excuse me, in verse 6, we read this. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. And here it is. This is, this is the hard one. He must believe and not doubt. He must believe and not doubt. That, that's, that's where it gets us, a lot of us. So, really, Paul, what's, what's the consequence if I do doubt, if I do fear, if I am uncertain about what God is telling me or what God is having me to do? Well, I, I see it here pretty clearly. This is what's going to happen. You're, when you doubt, it's going to feel like you're on a rocky sea, and you're going to feel like the waves are crashing all around you, and you're going to feel tossed around, and that's going to happen. So when you doubt, when you ask God for wisdom, and he gives it to you, and you doubt that wisdom that he gives you, it's going to be shaky. You're going to feel shaky. That's what it says right here. And the reason why it's going to be shaky is because you are relying on you. You're relying on your understanding. You're relying on the thought and concept of your purpose and your meaning. And you're not really believing. There's uncertainty. And it, and it says in verse 7, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. Here it is. Here it is. The wisdom is given, but grace and mercy and love. But you doubt and you fear and you worry. Is it really, are you really going to get it? It says here you won't. Why? Because you didn't receive it. See, I'm talking to myself. My journey out here, ooh, sometimes it feels like I've been in California for 25 years. And sometimes it feels like I've been here for. What a journey God has brought me on with my family. I had a concept of what it would be like when I came out here, and I had a concept of what God would do and how God would work and how God would move. And, and I, I've doubted and I felt tossed, and I felt shaken, and I felt stirred up, and I said, God, why? And I hear it again and again and again. Believe. Believe, Paul. Believe in me. When I think of a doubter, someone who doubts, 
is double-minded. I th- I, I, you, you go to Thomas, and you think of him in that upper room waiting, and everyone else is saying, Jesus is alive, Jesus, and, but Thomas, bless him. Until I see, until I see the hands and the feet, until I see those scars, until I can put my hand in there. And what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? Understanding and knowing that doubt is consuming him and tearing him down and, 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 and causing him to be unwise. There is Jesus. There is Jesus reaching out his hands. We must we must go through what we have what we must go through in order to to get a greater understanding of who God is and how he wants to relate to us. I wish that I could in a in a moment just take away all the all the struggles, all the trials, all the troubles in your life and just make your life just perfect. But that's unwise. That's unwise. Because it is through those struggles, through those trials, through that refinement, that we truly find God. That we truly see His wisdom. That we truly sense, begin to understand what He's doing in our lives. If you go back to the analogy of driving in the car... God is, he has been, and he always will be. He is right now, he, has been in the, he, had, he is in the past, and he is in the future. What did he say to Moses? Moses like, in doubt, in fear. Well, God, who do I tell him? Who, who, who do I tell this this powerful man who could snuff me out in a second. Who do I tell him sent me? Man, I am. The I am. Several years ago, you can get your hymn books ready. Several years ago, I was probably, mm, I don't know, eight, nine years old. And uh, I was at a church camp. And uh, at the time, uh, my family was known for being incredible singers. This was a time when all of them were in, in their teen years, and um, we, we used to sing um, for, in, in different opportunities. My sister, a couple of my sisters would sing, and uh, they sung in choirs, they sung in trios and quartets, and, and my brother was just known as this phenomenal singer. And, and I got set up one day. I got set up. And I got set up because I was in children's church, and the children's church leader said, well, we're going to have a musical. We're going to have a little, a little choir time, and, and it's going to be interactive, and there's going to be a couple of solos. And Paul, I would like you to just come up during this time and, and try out for a solo. Well, I thought, yeah, 
I mean, all my brothers and sisters are good singers. Why can't I? And I was confident. I was sure. And I remember as I was walking up on stage, I remember as I was walking up on stage, this, this overwhelming fear, like just, you know how, I don't know if any of you have ever been hit in the gut, um, but this fear just went, and I felt my throat constrict, and I felt my sweat glands start up. And uh, I got up there. I don't remember the song, but I do remember this. As I began to sing, I remember the look of shock and fear and awe (laughs) from my choir, the choir lady. And then I remember more than anything, and and I, I can smile about it now, but I remember more than anything, I remember in the back row, there were three or four of my friends and, and it was this, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like you're, you're watching, it's, it's kind of like the freeways, you see a wreck or you see a wreck happen and everyone stops and slows down and looks at it. Well, this was, this was to another level. Not only was everybody stopping and looking at the disaster, there were people laughing about it. And that's, that's the thing that really got me. Well, I said that day, <clears throat> and, and you can quote me on this, I, if I could take you back in time, I said to God and before man, I said, I will never, I will never, don't ever, just so you know, don't ever say never to God. Please don't. I mean, if you want it to happen, say never. If you don't want it to happen, say, God, your will be done. (laughs) I said, God, I will never, I will never sing another solo, whether it be in church, whether it be around any other human being, any other, for any other purpose or meaning. Now, since that time, I've sung, and I've sung in a choir, but I didn't like it, and I certainly wasn't going to sing a solo. And, and because I haven't been trained and because I've scraped away this part of my life, um, I don't really care. I didn't really care that I couldn't, I wasn't finely tuned like my brother and my sisters. Well, as I was thinking about this, this fear and doubt this morning, I thought, you know what? God's really, God's really changing me. And I think this morning God wants, God wants to take me back. He wants to take me back to when I was eight. And he wants to heal me. And I don't like him for it right now, but he wants me to sing. So... I'm not a choir director, but I know this. Most choir directors say, well, let's just do like the first and the fourth verse and then be done. Well, I'm sorry, people. I got five here. (laughs) And five is what I'm singing. What I would like to do is this. For the first verse, I'm going to sing by myself. And then as you see fit to come to my aid, my rescue. Please sing. And honestly, during this time, during this time that I'm singing, if you just want to put down the book and, and kneel in your heart and just pray, if you want to put down the book and kneel in there, if you want to just come up and... Because 
because of our fear, because of our doubt, we are doomed because of our sin. We are doomed. But His grace, His grace, His grace. And as I read, as I, I want to read it, I want to read it as I sing this. Pick out and see how God's grace fits into your life. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now. I see T'was grace that taught My heart to fear And grace my Relief A That grace appeared the hour I first believed The Lord has promised good to me His word, my hope, secures He will my shield and portion be as life, as life endures. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace hath brought me safe thus And grace will lead me home Here we go When we've been there ten thousand years Bright shining as the sun We've no less days to sing God's grace Than when we first begun Lord, I thank you. I thank you for moments when you change us and you challenge us and you refine us. I thank you for fear that drives us into your arms. I thank you that you have not given up on us. Lord, help us to not give up on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.